Hey, you've tuned into Pipe Candy's Merchant Tree, where our host, Ashwin Ramasamy, gets the best minds in e-commerce to tell it how it really is. Get a front row seat to the latest trends in the e-commerce vertical and tell the hyperbole from the real deal. make some noise shall we so we have a brand new episode of merchantry podcast but this is very different i have a really interesting person and a really interesting format for the first time we are going to have this episode playing both on merchantry as well as subscription radio and i have with me the host of subscription radio and also a really cool e-commerce veteran ben fisher hi ben hey ashwin good to see you man Good to see you. So this has been in plans for, I guess, six months now. So I'm really glad that we found the time to do this. So, um, and I have so many questions. Yes, of course, about subscription and e-commerce and so on. But to begin with, I'm very fascinated by your journey, right? So um, there are founders, there are entrepreneurs who take one problem and solve it for the rest of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you're a post-purchase purchase experience veteran in the CPG and e-commerce space, right? One-click pony, Carthook, mm-hmm. uh, Rodeo, they're all in the adjacent spaces. Was it planned that way or like how did that happen? Yeah, so it, it, it was planned. I'll say before that, you know, I started building companies, well, we'll call it professionally as an adult around uh, 14 years ago. And early on, my background's as a developer and designer, and one of the early challenges I had was coming up with really cool ideas, but mm-hmm. struggling to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And so after my second company, uh, soon after college, I basically was like, I, I looked around and I was like, I'm going to focus on ways to help other entrepreneurs make more money, because that's mm-hmm. a pretty straightforward business model. And when I looked around in categories, e-commerce was the obvious one. <laughs> right. Um, and so Carthook. So the funny thing is I actually built one click pony before before doing Carthook. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time, I didn't have experience in e-commerce. I had an idea. The idea was a one click buy button that could be embedded in email. Mm-hmm. Uh, pa- Amazon's patent had literally just expired. And mm-hmm. so I think that um, yeah, it, it, it was actually funny seeing... Uh, you know, fast bolt, a lot of uh, one click right. payment companies coming out in the last in the last like few years. Although I know Bolt's been working on it for a while, but um, long story short, working on one click pony was how I met my future co-founder of Carthook, Jordan. Jordan mm-hmm. was an e-commerce merchant himself who mm-hmm. um, was looking for a technical co-founder, and so at the time. Jordan was it was building out like a card abandonment app, so it was helping mm-hmm. uh, recover abandoned shopping carts. Um, right. And so that was a rid- and that was a product that he had to use himself as a merchant, and he had built and sold an e-commerce brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he when he and I linked up, that was the original idea for 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 Carthook. Um, you know, I loved that he had a lot of domain expertise, specifically in e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I really had a lot of experience on the B2B SaaS side. Um, and I was looking for someone who, yeah, quite frankly had, was like a deep 
like expert within e-commerce. And so for the next, you know, several years, um, a, we, we were building out the card abandonment app and that, and that pivoted into the time. This is like pre relatively early Shopify days. Like Shopify was still private. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and I think recharge had more, had fairly recently launched. Mm-hmm. And so we just sort of, I think Shopify was like our third or fourth integration. Um, yeah. and we started off in like a bunch of like random e-commerce platforms and AmeriCommerce and big commerce, then Shopify. And we just saw all this energy in the Shopify ecosystem and then identified this challenge around abandoned carts mm-hmm. on Shopify. And then we, as we were digging in and talking to our merchants, we saw this even bigger demand for at the time was like a one page checkout and post purchase right. upsells. We saw a lot of people coming from click funnels uh, who were selling previously selling info products and they were trying to get into drop shipping and they couldn't sell the way that they could sell on click funnels mm-hmm. on Shopify. And so we took a bit of a, I'd say a massive pivot in the business based off of all of the feedback and conversations we were having with merchants. And that's, that's, that's when cart hook became the, I guess the product that people got to know. And so at, th- at that point I had, I had already decided I had decided that, yes, I want to focus on e-commerce. It's like a huge market. Right. I love building tools and building products that help, you know, entrepreneurs make more money. Um, and so, yeah, that's it. So for that, to that extent, yes, it was, it was perfectly planned, but after the pain of early right. on coming up with products and not being able to figure out how to monetize them. Uh, right. And, during that experience with Cardi, we'll say I just I, I fell in love with e-commerce, learned a whole lot more of it, sort of like we'll say on the, on the ground on on the ground, and then working with all of the merchants, um, and and then even after I left Carthook, there was a brief mm-hmm. period before between Carthook and starting Rodeo, I was consulting as a fractional CTO for subscription e-commerce brands who sold CPG products, and right. so I was already sort of like, all right, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick the lane. I'm going to stay in this lane and then try to leverage that as, as like my, uh, we call it my, my, uh, unfair advantage. <laughs> yeah. All the life's mission. Right. Yeah. So, uh, one more question before we go to the big, bad, beautiful world of subscription. Right. So one click mm-hmm. pony, who named it such a uh-huh. beautiful name? I, I did. <laughs> Thank right. you. Um, that's, that's awesome name. Is there a, is there a history behind it? Is there a trivia behind it? I, I've always loved, I've always loved naming. And so I mentioned my background as a designer and programmer. So I was worked in advertising. Um, I would say between during college, like all my internships were at ad agencies. I was a flash developer and designer. Um, and so like branding and like, even my, like my, my portfolio for my work back then is online. So I've always had a, a lot of fun naming things. Um, and obviously one click, you know, one click buy button at the time. And then I just thought it sounded pony, the pony express. Right. And I, it just sounded like sort of fun and easy to use. Amazing. <laughs> and I, the irony of that is that rodeo is an evolution of one click pony. Mm-hmm. And so we still played with the, the horse piece. Um, and so we're like, well, it can't be, it's not, if it's not gonna be a pony, what was going to be a horse? So no one click horse. And so anyways, that's where we kind of were playing around the idea and, and, and came up with rodeo. Yeah, I, I saw fun. this on your About Us page where you say, uh, we are rodeo because this is not our first rodeo, right? So yeah. that was cool, right? So um, let's launch into the topic for the day, which is 
of course, subscription, right? So, um, you know, I was digging into some macro numbers as as we were planning for this conversation, right? Something just jumped out of um, the, the research I was doing, right? So, um, I think 2020 and 2021 were pivotal years for e-commerce that everyone understands, but I didn't realize mm-hmm. subscription also got a, a huge boost, right? So, from an average of two subscriptions per uh, average American household to five subscriptions um, from $38 per subscri- subscription to $190, $200 per month. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like 2020, 2021 were the Wild West for subscription commerce, right? So um, And so I got into digging further, and um, I, so I was looking at the discretionary spend budget for an average American household. So if you look at the typical categories mm-hmm. like grocery, personal care, um, apparel, entertainment, and so on, where you would see subscription products, um, nine hundred dollars is is what like an average American uh, household uh, will spend on um, these these categories. Twenty two percent of that is two hundred dollars, and and that's how much an mm-hmm. that's that's how much a household spends on subscription. That seems huge. I thought like in a subscription would be 10% of their discretionary spend. 22, I wasn't right. ready for it, right? So, um, <laughs> I mean, did this all happen during the pandemic? Like, you know, did this shape your journey towards rodeo? Like, you know, how do you see these numbers? Uh, I mean, I'd say that, I mean, the numbers are really separate from, those particular numbers are separate from just, I'd say the trend that I saw at Cart Hook. Um, and, and also in my own life. So I'm like an automations nerd where I've like, mm-hmm. I've had an assistant for 10 years. I've automated everything from like, I had my, like at one point, like my son was like running an Airbnb that was make, paying for my rent. I had a, uh, a nutritionist who did my macros and like found, uh, and then ordered my food and had it delivered to me wherever I was in the world. Like literally there's a service that, um, yeah, basically you'll do like a weigh-in every week and they will use Grubhub's API to find foods that um, that basically have the nutritional contents of the macros you need to try to get to like your 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 weight late loss goal or your whatever your goal is. Um, and so like I lost like 30 pounds ahead of my wedding just using the subscription service. Amazing. And so for me, subscriptions have, have always been a big piece of my life. Um, and and then in, in looking at and talking to merchants, especially in Shopify, um, I just I saw it as like this is this is a genie out of the bottle, and I was like, why wouldn't if I'm doing this? And I would certainly consider myself an early adopter. Mm-hmm. I you know, I live in, in New York City. I I'm 37 now, but at the time you know I was probably like you know, 30. Well, I guess when I was going through this when I was going through this observation around subscription, I was in my late 20s. And I was just like, I was like, this is, this makes so much sense, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so those numbers don't surprise me. I think, you know, the, the flip side of that too, though, is if, if you're talking about two hundred dollars, um, the average order value of, I don't know what the average order value is actually of like a typical CPG product, but let's say the average order is like thirty bucks, thirty forty bucks. Whether you're like subscribed to Canopy mm-hmm. or you know, jaw coffee or mud water or whatever. Like, you know, when you talk about subscriptions, we're not, we're not talking about Netflix and Hulu, which are like, you know, 
I know they keep increasing the prices, but we're, those are like you know like ten dollar like subscriptions. Like the CPG, we're talking about much higher average order value, and so the two hundred dollars isn't that surprising if it's you know if it, let's assume the average order value is like thirty five forty bucks. That's right. You know, like I guess around five things. Yeah, um, that's in the ballpark. Yeah. So, um, but like in terms of growth rate, right? So, um, I mean, I was yeah. reading through. Uh, you know, Toby's letter last week as they announced the mm-hmm. layoff. Uh, I mean, nobody expected e-commerce to grow that fast. And it was at its yeah. peak 17% of retail sometime in 2021. Now it's back to 14%. Mm-hmm. And nobody expected, the, expected that raise. Nobody expected that fall mm-hmm. either. Now we are on the trend line. And that's frustrating for a lot of e-commerce uh, corporate strategy folks because a lot of predictions were made based on uh, the curve going up, right? Um, Amazon mm-hmm. rented a lot of space. People, uh, Shopify, like you know, hired people. All that happened. So uh, I haven't seen yeah. similar stat in the subscription world, but I saw something, which is in mm-hmm. a report. Like we we co-authored, right? So we said like the growth yep. subscription commerce um, between 2020 and 2021 was in the um, uh, 80% range in terms of GMV, but now it's coming down to 20, 30% and so on. Still a good growth rate, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But like, what's causing this drop? Is it because of the economy or like, was it always the COVID aberration that caught it, that like caused that GMV increase? Obviously, COVID accelerated a lot of things. And I think the biggest thing it probably did is it accelerated awareness. Mm-hmm. And so... I mean, I'm not a, I can't say how long I thought the, we'll call it like the, that growth post COVID or during COVID would continue. It's not that surprising. Uh, I didn't predict it, but it's not that surprising that things have tapered off and kind of gotten back to where they were, would be on the slope. Mm-hmm. Um, at least, I mean, it's also a very, I can speak from the American perspective or even not even American. I can speak from my perspective as an, as someone living in New York, who's, who's super busy. And um, like, I think that people my age or are our age, I don't actually know your exact age, but I think slightly older than you are as you slightly older. Okay. Um, I think that as you get older and you have more discretionary income, like if you were a millennial or I guess they called it a bridge millennial, I'm Mm -hmm. technically a bridge millennial. um, You know, as you have more money and less time, Mo- I mean, generally what you do is you use the money to buy back your time. Right. Um, and so I think subscriptions and we saw this also with Amazon, right? Like Amazon introduced subscribe and save however long ago. I think that, um, you know, there are aspects of subscription that are, that can be super convenient because um, you don't want to have to think about it. And I think most of us, uh, part of the reason I've eaten the same meal every single day for the last eight years for mm-hmm. lunch is I just wanted to make a decision and not have to think about it again because it's the same decision I have to make every single day. And no one wants to think about when they have to buy toilet paper again. No one wants to have to think about when they have to get more coffee. Um, with that said, subscription is not perfect. And so uh, I think that, uh, I, you know, the f- familiarity with subscription as a business model, as well as just, I think more and more brands offering subscription, mm-hmm. like with the whole D to C channel blowing up. Mm-hmm. Now shoppers, wherever they go, they see a subscription op- option, which I don't think was certainly not as true before. And so I think it's also a matter of just uh, of that. 
Um, yeah. No. Well, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> What's your purview? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so I, um, I have tried subscription uh, products on and off, uh, but I like to change my food every, uh, change my lunch every afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that kind yeah. of a guy. But, yeah. but like, you know, there are some products that I buy, like, uh, you know, shaving creams and deodorants and so on, like that I'm not going to change. So mm-hmm. I, I do subscriptions for all of them. Right. Right. Uh, but there was fascination for buying socks online and on subscription model. But mm-hmm. now I have like maybe 200 socks, pairs of socks. So I, I'm not going right. to, I'll stop that subscription. Right. So what is pipe candy? Pipe candy is the industry standard data set that tracks over a million e-commerce and direct to consumer brands, demand generation, corporate strategy, Analytics and product teams use Pipe Candy to get their share of the e-commerce land grab. Sign up for a free trial today at pipecandy.com. All right. After that classy self-promotion, we are back to the show. So that's my tryst with subscription. Um, but it's interesting you talked about um, uh, CPG as a category, D2C as a sub, I mean, as a model within that. Um, so the the new customer versus repeat customer for a CPG brand, which is mm-hmm. on the B2C channel. Yeah. Right? So if you look at those numbers between, say, 2022 quarter one versus like, you know, mm-hmm. 2022 quarter two, which is the recent numbers, recent quarters that we have, the new customer addition has actually um, slowed down. Or in fact, I would say, there is negative growth, right? Like there's a decline in new yeah. customer addition by 10%. Um, it's slightly better this quarter, like it's 8% or so on. Uh, but what's really saving the day is repeat customers. Um, that's also declining. I think that's the function of the market that we are in. But in Q1, mm-hmm. repeat customers accounted for like you know, nearly 40% of the growth for CPG. Mm. Um, in Q2, it's like about... 25%, but it's positive, unlike new customer addition growth, which is negative, right? So I think that's kind of like, in a, that kind of sets the tone for the importance of subscription or importance of like loyalty and bringing the customers back um, um, mm-hmm. and so on, right? So in the, in the world that you're in, like you have a good view of like how brands are reacting to the downturn or recession. I don't know what the definitions these days are, but um, do you see brands right. talking more and more about uh, uh, subscription or at least repeat purchases? Yeah. I mean, I mean, ultimately, I mean, I think this goes back to even brick and mortar businesses, but it's like, there's basically, was it three ways to make money? Um, and there's always that, well, we'll go back to the cliche thing of like, you know, an existing customer's worth, however, let's say 10 times more than, than a new customer, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's not new. Um, and so in business, it's always been that basically you, uh, the frequency, the frequency to build a great business, you basically need frequency and then increasing average order value. Um, because ultimately lifetime value uh, is what is like the lifeblood. I mean, you can get, you can get into the nuances of that around cash flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the lifetime value over the course of 10 years matters, but like for most brands, they need a 90 day payback period on their, on their right. ad spend. Um, so it's more nuanced than that. But what I'll say ultimately is that, you know, this idea 
around like how do you get people to come back and repurchase and then how do you also get them to ideally spend more when they come back um you know those are really i guess we saw that firsthand with cart hook where mm-hmm. the whole value of of uh, of cart hook was enabling people to in many ways um make their profit on the first purchase through the upsell they'd break even on the on the original purchase mm-hmm. um they'd like basically advertise on facebook or instagram like the winning product the product that you had like the most amount of interest mm-hmm. and then they would they would invest money they would try to at least break even on on the first purchase and then they would make their um their yeah the, the gravy through the upsells the post-purchase upsells um right and so yeah i guess that that's it's not that surprising to me. I'm curious with that number that you see of returning customers, if that includes subscribers or not, because I think when most people talk about returning customers, I don't know who has, I don't know how much visibility any company has into the recurring revenue of an e-commerce brand. Cause when I look at one thing I'll tell you is when I look at like any, any of the products out there that estimate store revenue um, and granted the way that a lot of those sites do it is they'll, They'll some like they'll basically they'll buy an order, wait a day, and buy another order, and they'll see how many like what's the gap between mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, purchases. But um, by and large, I think a lot of them don't reflect subscription purchases. Which, if you're measuring by the gap in orders, that wouldn't make sense. But I think there's a lot of different ways that, I mean, including pipe candy. I mean, um, like that you that you could go about trying to estimate revenue of a brand. But what I'll say is like subscription brands have always seen. Um, drastically underestimated in their revenue. Um, when I've when I've looked on on any uh, whether it's uh, on on any of these different uh, sites, um, that and true. so I think that's yeah. really interesting. And what I will typically say is, I typically see around at least fifty percent of a store's customers. If you offer subscriptions, about half of them are subscribers, and those fifty percent of subscribers probably represent about. 60 to 70 percent of the store's revenue Mm -hmm. um and so that goes back to you know i guess just the importance of everyone well it also it goes back to just like everyone wants everyone who's offering a subscription model they want subscribers and i've even seen a lot of brands not even offer one-time purchases of their products but instead just trying to push the subscription model um, I've always pushed back on that, mm-hmm. uh, cause as a customer and as a consumer that like drives me freaking bonkers. Yeah. Um, like, but what I'll say is the, you know, the, the, the trend that I've seen and in some ways I think VC money has pushed this in part cause every brand, every CPG brand wants to say that they're a subscription brand. What's weird about that to me though, is it's not really a subscription in the sense of like, you can't skip paying a month of Netflix, right? Like if you, if you can't, you can't skip a month of paying for Adobe cloud. Yeah. Right. Like when you talk about recurring revenue, especially as someone in B2B SaaS, like recurring revenue is recurring revenue. Um, and in CPG, part of the, a lot of the challenges are around anticipating replenishment. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of, um, you know, the, the fact is that people need to be able to skip. People need to be able to pause. They, you know, the number one reason people cancel is too much product. It's product right. pileup. And so um, I think the, the weird thing of that is um, that 
the subscription model, as powerful as it is and as attractive as it is for a lot of e-commerce brands, it's not always the right move for for the consumer. Um, and I think, you know, the truth is that going back to your stat, a lot of, I mean, it, it's going to, uh, I mean, I think once most consumers find something that they like, they'll stick with it as long as they have a great brand experience. And so um, my guess is going back to COVID, um, a lot of people were exposed to brands that they'd never experienced before. And so they developed some habits. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, return cu- returning customers is going to be or, or is naturally higher if they had a good, good experience. The, re- the drop in customer acquisition is not surprising because brands have really pulled back on ad spend. Part of that is, right. is due to like iOS changes, right? right. And, and Facebook. And, um, but then also that, then you combine that with like the pullback in VC investment in, in like the category. So the, I'd say the customer acquisition piece is not surprising at all. Uh, the returning customer piece, it makes sense. I think it's more just, and it, it's also like the lifeblood of any, of any brand. And one of the things I, I, I tell brands, especially subscription brands is like, if you don't have a way of offering flexibility beyond just like flexibility within the subscription or membership, like as a consumer, like no one wants to be locked into something. And so if, if you're only offering subscriptions, for example, how are you getting returning customers? Right. Like if your subscription model and going back to your stat, if let's say the average American household spends two hundred dollars, mm-hmm. let's say that represents four brands. Right. You know, now there's like a fa- now there's like thousands of companies offering subscriptions. So how many brands in parallel is someone actually going to subscribe to? Um, you're not going to have a subscription to everything. You can, you, and, and given that the average order value is so high, like it's just it's from a financial perspective, not not it's possible. Yeah. And so, well, and I, uh, sorry, I know we kind of went on a tangent, but I was gonna say one other thing I, 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 I've been thinking a lot about is like, I think it was like a triangle where most people will probably have a primary subscription in the category mm-hmm. or they'll have like their, like they're maybe their primary, like one or two subscriptions. Then they'll have secondary and tertiary subscriptions. And so those are things where like their primary subscriptions, maybe like their favorite coffee mm-hmm. that like jot or whatever where they're like i just i know i want this every few weeks to show up to my house and then they'll experiment with or you know incorporate some i would say some flavor <laughs> and in and, and exploring and incorporating like other brands in the mix over the course of a year um but they're not going to be subscribing in parallel to like 10 different products um that's right so in fact um i was speaking to um Leo of uh, repeat. Um, of repeat, yeah. yeah. I think the stat, if I rem- remember it right, came from them. I think they are, I, I, mean, I think this is public information, but they are processing a little over half a billion dollars or a billion dollars, I don't remember. Like So mm-hmm. in those transactions, they separate between repeats versus like new customers. And, and that's kind of, that number looked very fascinating yeah. to me, right? Um, so, I mean, if I'm a brand uh, and I've spoken to a few brands, right? So, I mean, all of them are interested in subscription mm-hmm. because for the obvious reasons that you just mentioned, cost of acquisition and yeah. like lifetime value and so on. Uh, but um, but there is also an inertia uh, I've observed in some brands, um, especially because there was an uncertain supply chain issue and the you know, cost of warehousing mm-hmm. that increasing and you know what? Subscription is important, 
but like, you know, I struggle to get traffic to my website. Only if I get traffic to my website, do I even get the subscription in place. So, you know, might as well surrender to Amazon, right? So I'll put it up on Amazon, mm -hmm. like Amazon as a subscribe and save. Maybe I should try that first and see how that goes before I, uh, before I lock into a subscription model for myself. Uh, I need to do a technology stack and mm -hmm. so on and so forth, right? So... Um, the combination of access to prime customers and FBA uh, and a subscribe and save, I, you know, all of them look interesting. Um, so if you are uh, an advisor to a brand, which I think you are, like in the, in the capacity of like building a mm -hmm. stack between launching subscription service versus uh, some kind of a repeatability stack versus Amazon, how would you sequence this? I mean, this is like one of those examples where I will... I will say what I'm really good at, and I am not a marketer. I'm not a merchant. As much as I have spent time with merchants and I've spent a lot of time in CPG, and a lot of my friends are merchants, um, I'm not an expert in like what that sequence should be. What I've observed and what I've had friends tell me is it depends, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think what I've seen is that, and, and, and I think this is probably, it, it, to whatever extent there is a truth, this is the truth, is it, there's, there's a mix, um, you know, as a consumer, I spend a lot of time on Amazon because it's convenient to buy things together. And so if you sell a product that typically would be purchased along with other products that are being per that a consumer typically buy on Amazon, you know, it would make sense at some stage of your business to invest in Amazon. Um, you know, the other thing is wholesale. And, uh, you know, I think D2C is, is really just, it's, it's a channel. It's not, what most for most businesses like you need to diversify beyond just that mm -hmm. um and you know in addition to like adding more SKUs, adding more channels and distributions like you know it, it's like, those, those those are the ways to grow uh, an e-commerce brand i think the um you know the fear understandably around being on amazon is is the private white is the, basically amazon ripping you off yeah um and then also copycats uh, I'll, I'll pick on China, but like copycats, like basically on uh, drop shipping from um, Alibaba, you know, basically, you know, those are very real things that are scary. But for the brands and like one of one of my mentors, who's an e-commerce merchant, known him for about 20 years. Uh, he's also happened to be one of our investors. You know, he basically was like, as much as he hates Amazon, they do so well through Amazon that they can't ignore it. Like they make more through Amazon than they do through their D2C channel. They also, they also started off doing brick and mortar and Amazon before they did D2C. So they never really built up their D2C channel. Mm -hmm. But just, I think what he said was, this is someone who spends a lot of time dealing with people copying their brand and doing like knockoffs and, you know, trying to enforce your trademark mm -hmm. and all, all these things that don't sound like a whole lot of fun. Um, and so I would say it, you know, there's depending on the product and depending on the stage of your business, uh, you're probably going to and want to invest in Amazon as a channel. Um, whether or not you do that after you, you know, at what stage do you do that? And how soon after, if you start off in D2C, do you do wholesale first before doing Amazon? Um, that sequence, I don't know. And I think that also depends a little bit on your particular product. Um, you certainly lose a lot of the, direct connection to your customer, but you would lose that in wholesale too, right? right? Like 
that was one of the big things. Of like, if you sell through Walmart or Target or whatever, like you the same know. issue yeah. as, as selling with with, with Amazon. <laughs> um, but when you look at how much much money and like from a cash flow perspective for these brands, like when you get to the stage of actually or the scale of being able to sell through those, um, it can be such a substantial amount of money that you just can't ignore it as a business owner. Um, I think so for most people, D to C really becomes the, the place where you can create a unique cost consumer experience and D to, your D to C channel is the place to really double down on that, on that experience. What can you get through your D to C channel that you wouldn't be able to get through Amazon um, or by buying at Target? And I think, you know, there's, there's two things there. One of which Shopify is trying to help with, which is around like, how can Shopify help with operations around fulfillment right. so that you can compete at least on like the turnaround time of, yeah, I want it next day or, or two days from now. Um, but I think that's where this, the subscription model, but also membership are both really interesting ways for um, a brand to, to add additional value through their D to C channel that some consumers might be like, yeah, I'd rather buy on Amazon, but I want these perks of buying it directly through the channel. Uh, I'll give you one example, mm-hmm. like, uh, Jot Coffee, uh, who's who's one of our customers, they have a product that is only available to subscribers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can only buy it through their D2C channel. It's also, in, it's basically a artisanal um, small batch coffee that changes every like mm-hmm. month mm-hmm. or less. And so what that product itself changes also. And so like, that's one of those examples of like having a cool perk where, yeah, like, some people might still buy the, the product through another channel, but ultimately if you love Jot and if you want to have, like, if you love sort of the experience of, you know, New flavor uh, of, coffee, of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I've also heard that some people like going back to like the, the report that we collaborated on, like uh, when you dig into like, what are the reasons people subscribe to brands and why do they subscribe to D to C curation was one, was one big piece. Another one was feeling like you have a more basically access to higher quality products. Um, and so if going back to just thinking about your subscription experience and, and thinking about your subscribers, um, I don't think that this experience shouldn't just be reserved to subscribers. I think that's the other piece of this is that when you're talking about like repeat purchasers are the folks who are saving mm-hmm. the day, um, you know, subscription is a business model. It's not how consumers think. Like, like I, I joke, like the job to be done is not as a consumer. It's, I don't get, I don't care about subscriptions. What I want is the product when I want it and when I need it. And, um, so I think that's actually sort of the gap that's been created. Um, that I'll say like, just, uh, to completely like tooting around own horn, like that's the gap we're trying to close, which is with one click pony. The whole idea was how can we enable, basically we work with CPG brands, enabling one click buy, but one, one click buying. And what we would do is we'd send smart reminders to consumers. And this, again, it's crazy to think, but I originally built this seven years ago before doing cart hook. Um, but then, you know, what I, what, even when we, when, when I dusted off one click pony after leaving the day to day of mm-hmm. cart hook, when we, we relaunched that product and we were doing it in CPG, this is like three years ago. Um, I looked at it and I was like, you still have this gap between how, like, sometimes people want subscriptions. Sometimes people want like to be reminded to replenish and there's no way to close that gap. And it wasn't until Shopify announced like their subscriptions API where I was like, 
finally, we can take what we were already doing with One Click Pony and try to effectively create a what I consider like the consumer centric way of 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 providing a great experience where it's like there's a continuum. I don't want to always be a subscriber and I don't always want to be having to think in like buying. And it's like, there's this middle, like there's this wide middle ground that, that, you know, I think repeats on an awesome job bridging that like, or, or at least around like the, the replenishment period, uh, replenishment function. Um, and then there's, you know, so that's, yeah, that, that, that to me is interesting. Um, yeah. and it, so, so the way you framed makes a lot of sense. If you look at the jobs to be done for a consumer, it never, I mean, subscription is an industry term. Um, uh, the job to be done right. is like my my pet is running out of like pet food, like and he's going to get cranky. So I need it when right. I need it, right? Or, or I don't need it because yeah. like him and I are on a road trip, right? So that's essentially how the job is described. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, and subscription, like you said, is, also, in some ways, a product of like the amount of money that was available out there in the market to build something that would like, contractually yeah. position what is actually a repeat purchase into a subscription purchase, right? So yeah. on, on Excel sheets, it makes sense. 